The webinar will begin shortly. Please remain on the line. The webinar will begin shortly. Please remain on the line. The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Good afternoon, traders. Uh, thanks for joining us here. It is 3.30 p.m. Chicago time on Wednesday, the 18th of August, 2021. I'm very excited about what we're gonna talk about today in this Convergent Trader Spotlight. Uh, we're gonna have Kelly Farrell on with Diamond Capital Management. Uh, we'll have a face-to-face -face discussion with her about all that goes into managing a fund, especially one that trades our favorite product, the S&P 500. Uh, the micros and uh, also uh, crude and, and so on in some of our programs. Uh, so I want to remind everybody that derivatives trading is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. Uh, remember that the opinions shared here are those of the person providing them. They don't reflect either uh, Kelly or my or Convergence opinions. Uh, do your due diligence before you trade any ideas you get from this discussion. What we're going to focus today, we're going to just briefly talk about Kelly's background. How did how did she uh, come to run a fund? Uh, we're going to we're going to discuss her perspective on the futures fund industry. How's that going? Uh, a fun, we're going to talk about a fund manager's approach to strategy development. So we're going to discuss a little bit without getting too much into the secret sauce, what the what it takes to develop a strategy and to manage it over time. Uh, and then we're going to talk about risk management uh, from the viewpoint of a fund. How do you how do you keep yourself hedged? How do you keep exposure on money that you're managing for other people in check? Issues relating to trade execution. How do you execute when you're deploying uh, uh, potentially large positions into the market? How do you get in? How do you get out? Issues relating to trade execution. That's what that is. Maintaining a sustainable mindset. How do we do this without, you know, as a professional, Kelly's done this for a long time. How do you do this without burning out? So without further ado, let's bring Kelly on. Kelly. A quick mic check. Hi there. Hi. Let me, I forgot to turn on my camera. Kelly, you can go ahead and turn yours on if you recall how to do that. Yep. Give me one sec here. Okay. Hey, good to have Hi. you on. 
Okay, Kelly. So uh, what we want to talk about, just a brief description of what your journey has been. Uh, I know that you got involved around late 2001, 2002, some, somewhere in that range. You've been doing this for about 20 years. How did you get to a point where you're uh, participating or managing a fund? So I initially was working for a bank, doing some fixed income trading, managing a broker-dealer trading desk, and um, worked with someone who had been in the CTA space, and I was interested in the options, and um, decided that uh, that was something I wanted to do further, and we developed a uh, options-only trading strategy, and that's what we launched with Diamond, and um, we we're trading the big S&P, so you know, back in 01, 02, the index is much lower, and you know, you're, um, we're able to trade those large contracts today because of where the index is. You know, we're using micros and minis, um, so you just have to kind of adjust as you go along. Um, did that? Uh, it was so basically, it was a premium selling program. It did very well. Um, but then we hit the big volatility in 08, and uh, I just really wanted something that had more balance. So I was looking for a trend-following program or something like that, and uh, one of the guys that I was doing some other things with, uh, you know, said, hey, I have this trend-following program. What do you think about working with me on it? And um, it was perfect timing. So I said, well, I was thinking about, you know, using it with the options. So we came up with our program. And uh, we've been trading the enhanced S&P. So basically it's a long-term trend following program that has a uh, trend reversal, mean reversion component, and it then has an option overlay. So okay, so, part. so would you say that you're, uh, if you take a position in futures in a trend, you're constantly hedging that position with options or is options a supplement to whatever uh, returns you can get out of the futures position? So the options portion of the program is just an enhancement of performance. Um, so it's just an add-on, add a little bit extra performance. We're selling, you know, front month uh, puts, calls if it meets our risk reward parameters. Um, so it, it, that has its own set of, you know, risk parameters and leverage that we apply. And then it's just on top of the trend following. However, we will use options uh, we, when we might get a signal that's opposed to our current position in the futures. Um, we might use options as a hedge, like, you know, using a long put. Uh, spread type of the thing or we'll even you know sometimes ratio it out and do like short call uh, short put underneath long put in front just to pay for it because you're paying for insurance mm -hmm. uh, so those are you know some of the strategies that we use options for but then that's more associated with the other part of the program uh, and, and that other part of the program is uh, is much more uh, in our playground, which is uh, day trading. You have a day trading uh, portion of this. Can you describe that a little bit? So we have two two programs. So the enhanced S&P is the one I just described. And then we also have, for further enhancement, uh, Diamond Enhanced Solutions, which takes everything that we're doing in the enhanced S&P program 
And then it also has a day trading component, which can trade in silver, gold, crude, or the micro S&P. And then those trades are just short intraday trades. We don't have overnight exposure. We're just looking to grab small amounts. And, and the target is, you know, pick up somewhere around 5% um, in addition to the performance that we get from the enhanced S&P. That 5% is describing a rate of return on an annual basis. Yes, an annual yes. basis, right. Okay, and um, can you give us an idea on the day trading portion of the program? Is that also trading momentum-based or is it a mean reversion type of uh, idea or how, how do you look at the market when it comes to day trading? That's more of a momentum-based type trade and then we're just looking for the market to push through um, kind of to an exhaustion point almost, and then we're just taking our profit off and exiting, and then we have tight stops based on various parameters that we're looking at um, should it go against us. Um, so what we're really trying to achieve there is, you know, somewhere around over 50% profitability rate on our trades and that the profitable trades exceed the losing trades. Okay. In general, and we'll talk about strategy in a bit. So I have a very specific question there to ask. Let's just switch gears for a minute because I wanted to just as a fund manager, you 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 have part of your job is to solicit funds, to talk to prospective clients, investors, people like that. What is your perspective on the futures industry? How are the Specifically, how are the index funds and robo-advisors impacting your ability to attract capital into what you're doing? How, does that, how has that changed over the last maybe five or 10 years? Sure. So, you know, just like for an example, when we first rolled out the option trading program, um, we didn't really have to do a lot of marketing. Um, our performance just spoke for itself and we had our, our information posted on various websites and we attracted a fair amount of business. Um, kind of after 2008, um, you know, I, I think that it's become a little bit more difficult and the playing field has become larger. There are more options to choose from. The, and right now, you know, with the markets moving the way that they've been moving, um, you know, I think that um, it's made it a little bit more difficult than it had been before in terms of raising assets. And by by saying that there are many more options, this is the introduction of the weekly options, expiring Fridays, the Wednesday options, the weekly Wednesday options, or is it, is there something else? No, I'm really talking about different investment options. Oh, so, investment you know, options. ETFs, different futures funds, diff, you know, there's just so many more potential opportunities for clients to look at depending on what, you know, their style is or their preference. Um, okay. Where do you see this all going over the next 10 years? Is uh, Do you believe that uh, the complexity continues or do you see better opportunities over time or how, how do you see things going over the next Let's call it 10 years. Right. 
I think, you know, we see things kind of move in cycles. So, you know, I think that there are some very good potential uh, markets and, and, and um, opportunities for us to, you know, achieve growth both in performance and with our assets. Um, a lot of times, you know, when the stock market itself is more difficult, we find that more people are looking for a managed opportunity um, and, and we see, you know, a lot more growth come at those times. Um, you know, but I do think that we have to be aware of some of the changes too, like with the onset of, like you were saying, robo-trading and whatnot, we've experienced a lot more volatility in fast-moving markets. If you just look at the markets since, you know, the beginning of 2018, for example, we've just had some very big moves in between there. Yes, we've been in a nice uptrend, but in between there, we've experienced some big volatility. And much, much more, um, the volatility happens much quicker. A lot of times it, it has a lot more depth. You know, if you just take like February of 18 or 2020, you know, for an example, we went from being in a bull market to a bear market in a matter of weeks. You know, the back, back to a bull market in a matter of a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> hard, you know, hard to capture that, especially, you know, like when you're in a, a typical trend following program, you're following the trend. When, you, you know, the trend reverses or starts to evaporate, you move out and you wait for the confirmation of, you know, reversal on the trend. Well, that all just happened in the blink of an eye. So those you are some things. A, you might want to have a look at crypto if you think futures are fast. <laughs> the, those things can really turn and they can turn hard to the tune of 8, 10, 15 percent in a matter of an hour. So, <laughs> okay, very cool. Thanks for that perspective. So let's talk about strategy. Mm -hmm. And uh, this from the perspective of what do you trade? You've described that as the enhanced program, which is the, the longer term swing type program. It's mainly S&Ps, S&P options. Um, and then the uh, other program, which is short term uh, day trading, no overnight position program in the uh, micro ES crude and gold is what you mentioned right and silver right. and silver and there's no option trading on the on the day trading program of course because it's right it's tough to get in and out of options on that short <laughs> time frame right so that's yeah. what that's what you trade in general what is the time frame in which you trade um in the enhanced program in the in the longer swing program what what kind of a holding period are you looking at in general per trade so for the enhanced s p portion which is the long-term trend following you know we're just following the trend we could be in a position for months basically roll over with the quarterly roll um but then with that we have a trend reversal um mean reversion type of a overlay on that. So it's, there are basically three systems in that program that are non-correlated that work together. So that mean reversion trend reversal component, 
can either give us a signal that's going against, it, will, it can give us like a cell warning and we're, and we're long, and it gives us different strengths of signal. So there can be a little discretion in there, you know, how do, how do we react to that? And if, you know, we have mid to stronger type of a signal, you know, we can use options to hedge, um, like a long option spread type of a thing, or we can actually exit and then wait for either the trend to resume or in like the instance of, you know, a clear instance in 2008 where you get a reversal and you end up going short and then capturing that run. Um, so we kind of look at the trend reversal program as keeping us nimble in between while we ride the trend. The trend is never gonna pick the top or the bottom. We're just looking for, you know, confirmations that we're continuing in a trend and then when a trend starts to turn, we're looking for a confirmation that the trend has actually turned. And then within okay. that, there are various risk parameters built in and filters that we use uh, for our exit strategy as well. Okay, so this next question is not looking for details on your three strategies or systems that you're running, but consider that you lost all your data and you lost all your programming and you need to start over. As someone who has run a fund with 20 years of experience, how do you put a strategy together that is that is big enough or robust enough for other people to invest into? What does that process look like? Well, okay, that's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think in terms of strategy, you have to know your personality type. I think every trader has a different type of personality and you know, different timeframes work for certain people. Like certain people like a fast moving market, they like to be in and out, know what, the, what their profitability or not is. Others you know, are looking for the long-term, they have the patience, uh, they don't wanna be like constantly analyzing the market, you know, in every minute or five minute bar or whatever it might be. So you might be looking for more of a um, intraday type of a product. So you have to kind of figure out what works with your personality. And then of course, you know, there are certain parameters or there are certain indicators that I've, grown accustomed to that you you know know work and then you have to start your testing process so you know um, so when we developed the enhanced solutions we did a you know several back tests on that based on the various parameters that we developed and then with all the volatility that came in 2020 we had to adjust again to accommodate for volatility so you're you're testing, you're running your parameters, you've seen what works best, and then you kind of move forward with that. But the you know key there is once you develop your strategy and you, you have to define what your risk parameters are, um, you know, how much of a loss are you willing to take? Are you looking at your overall portfolio with all your trades? What are your parameters with each type of trade? And then you have to have your set rules. And it's really important to stick to your rules. So when you've defined what your risk is, and then you put parameters in place to trade upon those rules, you have to have the discipline to do that. It's when you second guess your rules, when you find something that's working, that you can get into trouble. 
or make adjustments while a position is open. Right. Uh, right. Uh, because you, you think you might have seen something extra, which we always seem to see something extra as soon as we open a position. Right. right. And then, so, you know, you just can't do that when you're trading a client's money, you know. So that's why you have to develop your strategy, develop your rules, develop your risk parameters, and then you have to abide by those. Now, you also have to test. Like, you know, so we, in the time I've been doing this, we've had you know, a lot of different market environments. We've had 01, 02, which was a pretty steady drop. Uh, you know, the volatility that happened in 08, 2020. You know, as you live through these environments and then as the index has, you know, gone from in the hundreds to now, you know, like heading up over 45 at some point, um, you know, you have to make adjustments. Like, so, you know, what is our leverage and, and how are we positioning according to, you know, our risk? So there's a lot of moving parts and you just have to make sure that you know what they are and you have to abide by them. Now with like, you know, some of it, you can actually program it, um, but you have to keep testing, I think, you know, test environments. So like in certain environments, you know, I can remember saying, oh, maybe we should look at this from the perspective of maybe a little bit shorter time frame." And then we went back and we tested it over the years and it was like, oh, that really didn't improve performance. So stick with what we have. So, you know, you're kind of looking back and trying different things as in environments change. And then if you need to adjust, as we have done over the years, you now, like I said, we went from using the regular size options, now we're using minis and even micros. Um, you know, you, you just have to um, be aware of what's happening and know when it's right to change. Got it. So with that being said, how how do you get an understanding of whether or not your approach is going to be robust. So you've tested the past, the future is unpredictable. Every single trade has a, a random outcome. This may lose, this may win, following the exact same rules, the exact same setups. How do you make sure, how do I make sure as a trader that my approach is actually robust enough to handle the changes in the volatility, the changes in the behavior, uh, maybe a mean reversion market turns into a trending market or vice versa. How do you how do you account for that? So, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, risk is always a priority, right? So you want to make sure that you know what you're risking and and how you're doing that. But you also have to be able to know when to let trades go far enough so you're actually achieving profitability, right? And so when you're when we created this, like for us, we looked at, you know, in terms of the trend following, markets are typically trending up. So there's a long bias to the trend following system. But then how do we navigate when we have the volatility that come in? And how do, you know, what do we need to do? So we looked at, you know, like, uh, we move leverage, so we like can scale leverage up and down kind of a thing. So that way, um, as our indicators in, you know, show us that like volatility is coming into the market, we might be hitting a point uh, for a reversal type of a thing, 
then you know we have the different strategies that we use that would basically you know help us control risk like you know I said with using like the options and whatnot, but also like scaling uh, leverage up and down. So with like position sizing, um, like in terms of the options, like how far out you might take an option, how far out of the money is the option. Um, so you're looking at all the different factors that go into that, you know, what is price? What is price telling us? So like we see like this, you know, expansion in price in, in an option, for a strike that we you know feel is is sufficiently out of the market based on other parameters the price is telling us we, mm, we might want to you know we should probably push that further out so there's you know you have a lot of different moving parts that you're looking at and you want to make sure that you are profitable more often than you're not and okay. that you have sufficient risk built in there that you aren't giving up everything that you make I don't know if you know this term R factor, and it's simply, um, are you familiar with this term R factor? Yeah. It's, it's the rate of return on risk, but it's not a profit factor like a fund would have. It's, it's right. individualistic to a trade. Okay. So essentially one of the parameters that might filter out a bunch of trades might be, I will only trade if I can get an R factor of 1.5 or what we call 1.5 R. So I need to be able to have room in profitability on this particular trade that gives me uh, one and a half times the risk. You know, mm -hmm. Is that something that matters to you? Um, in my experience, I've been doing this also 20 years, moving on to 21 uh, this year. You can have, you can do all kinds of things and get really fancy with trading, but the easiest way, in my opinion, to improve overall performance is to just improve your R factor. Is just to right. not go for trades that are one you know one r i'm gonna lose as much as i could gain and therefore i need to be 80 percent or better over a large number of trades to even see a return after cost do you have is do you have a parameter that uh, that is similar to yeah. that that filters things out like a risk reward parameter i guess <laughs> yeah that's what it is that's, that's really what, what we call it so sure and especially like when you're looking at the options right so that's why we don't do calls all the time for instance so you're just not getting enough premium far enough out of the money given the time volatility all of that if you're not picking up enough premium it's not worth the potential risk to take that trade and, and the same thing on, on the put side if you're just you have to make sure that your profit potential is such that you know you're picking up enough premium that the trade makes sense but also that the risk that you're taking is also that you can navigate that risk so in other words like when we do like selling the puts you know we're far enough out that we give ourselves room that we can adjust and do whatever strategies that we have in there depending on what happens um so that we can navigate um the position and not take undue risk and then position sizing is all part of that as well and then we look you know we look at each of the positions that we have on in the strategies and then how 
does the risk reward profile look on the whole portfolio right. as well? So we have, right. you know, parameters with each trade, with each system, and then there we look at the whole. Got it. Sounds exhausting. Um, how do you care about the S&P at these all-time highs? What is it? What What's your opinion of the trade as the market makes new all-time highs every week? How does that come across to you as a fund manager? It's basically with the trend following. We're riding the trend until the trend is no longer moving in the direction that we are riding. So, you know, we get that question all the time, you know, like especially in the last year, you know, oh, we're hitting new highs, this, you know, this is where we're due for a big drop and all that. Well, we're just riding the trend and the trend lines, you know, and support hasn't really been broken. So we just continue with the trend. Now, with that said, we have, you know, made adjustments to leverage so that we can navigate when that turn happens. So, you know, we're actually right now at a slightly lower leverage uh, than a one-to-one -one leverage. Um, so, yeah, we can adjust for that, but, you know, we're making small adjustments and then, you know, we're using our different signals to tell us when it's time to do something protective. So like right now, we had, you know, like a sell warning and we have on a long put spread um, that we've had on for a little bit here. So you're actually jumping into the next question, which is awesome because yesterday we sold off any S&Ps. Okay, we opened in a gap down, we ran down to 44.11 or so, and then we ended up rallying back to 44.45. And then here we are today uh, below 4,400. So the first question is, when did you get that warning? Is it is it a warning that's a response to what happened yesterday and therefore you have to make the adjustment today on the open or is it ahead of it or how, how does that work? We actually had it on for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and oh, we okay. So we had a warning, it didn't really go away. Remember, we're looking at the longer term trend and potential reversals and um, we actually had to roll it out into a further expiration but as the signal had not gone away you continue with the position and so now we have it on now when we need it um that's been a difficult um you know the shorter term like reversal warnings are a little bit more difficult in this environment where we have these you know super low rates and everybody's there's the fear of missing out. Not that that's part of our strategy, but you know what you see, like we we get these pullbacks or small corrections, and then they're buying them, buying it up right away because nobody wants. You know, people are more afraid of missing the opportunity than they are of taking the risk. risk. Yeah, than so. the risk of loss. That's right. Very cool. Um, what would you need to see in order to add another product to your strategy? You know, why not spice things up, as we say, with some NQ, you know, uh, something that has, you know, 240 points of range every day or whatever. Oh, you, <laughs> are, are you just, are you just like, hey, I'm, I'm great with my hammer, I'm a carpenter, and this is, I'm just perfecting this hammer, or do I pick up, 
you know, a drill and become somebody else? You know, it's, is there, at what point should a trader in your position start looking at diversifying versus being in a product? And this is on the enhanced swing program, uh, which is your kind of the big, the big piece in your fund. When do you look at other products? So, you know, originally we're in the enhanced S&P uh, or in the S&P because it's got huge liquidity, right? So it gives us opportunity to grow in the options. We've got depth of strikes. We've, I, I don't have an issue when I want to get out of a trade in some kind of volatile market. Uh, the market is going to be there for us. It's even become so much more liquid that we can trade in the overnight markets on occasion, depending on what's going on, and not be completely negatively impacted by spreads. So, you know, we're looking for, you know, a very liquid market, and it's a broad-based market. So we're, you know, it's we just chose the market that represents you know, the biggest portion of the equities and was a little bit smoothed out as compared to perhaps the NASDAQ. Um, and so stick with what you know and what's working until it's not. Very um, cool. Um, I wanna ask you before we move on to the next segment, what was the best trade that you've ever put on? The best trade? <laughs> How did it do? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you know, these are longer term trades. So, you know, we're riding them for a long time. So when you're catching a nice trend, um, that's always great. But, uh, you know, from time to time, um, from my options experience, you know, you catch a, a premium pop, the, you know, like, how, you know, I like to look at it as your best opportunities are when, you know, you've got premium pushing up, you're able to get really far out of the money, pick up, a, you know, an option that's well out of the range of where you think the market will go in the time frame that you're using it. And then it just, like, it's smooth. It just goes and you have no pressure whatsoever during the course of that option's life, you know, until it expires. Um, those are really nice when you can just, you know, pick up a nice, pop and premium and, and just ride it. Um, when you describe a pop and premium and writing that out, this is this must be a, a premium selling opportunity, right? You're picking right. up a lot of premium and you're watching it get, get worthless right. uh, in a very smooth way, you know, theta, right. theta, theta burn or whatever. <laughs> yeah. When you're short on the options, time is your friend. So that ties into a question that the viewer is asking, uh, Yusuf is asking, I would like to ask Mrs. Uh, Kelly if she works with any options models such as Gamma, G-A-M-M-A, -M -M -A, and I'm not sure if there's talking about the Greeks here or if there's something called Gamma uh, system or something, uh, or if she reads any institutional flow as part of the program. No, we're really like, we're looking at, you know, the market as a whole. So we're putting, you know, in terms of our option strategy on its own, we're just going month to month. Um, and when we position, we're looking at what's the current volatility, where are we within the trend, 
how much time is there to expiration, you know, the basic things that we're looking for. And what we want to do is make sure we're positioned far enough out that we don't take a lot of price pressure. And that if we do, that that price pressure isn't going to be, you know, so quick and, and, and happen so quickly that we can't navigate it, you know. So we have strategies for, you know, different scenarios where we might roll to a further out option, we might just exit, um, you know, those kind of things. But, you know, so we're looking at, you know, the, um, the basics that you would look at for yeah it's very traditional kind of tried and true approach to options uh investing really uh someone else is asking um you mentioned leverage what is your max leverage you would use on any single trade idea so so we have a internal leverage um calculation that goes into our positioning and like for our futures we're looking at the level of and the options what is the level of the S&P uh, for the options is you know what is what strike are we looking at kind of a thing and then you know we look at you know the assets that you know we're using and we you know use some form of leverage that can range from like say half of uh you know like so we use one-to-one -one often and i think the highest we really go is like 1.5 1.5 of what uh of margin or no. notional or oh so that's yeah there's a different way to look at it. so that's a positioning as so as um compared to the index level so in terms of like um based on assets and, and your margin to equity type of a thing. Um, wow, we've been hanging under 20% for a really long time. I think, you know, in the early stages when we were using the big S&P contracts, in a very volatile environment, margin could get pushed up to like 50%, but that's part of controlling risk as well. So yes. we don't over position, we don't over leverage, um so then if you have clients that want to use their own leverage and they want to do you know some level there's room in there for them to do that although right. we don't spend more than two times right okay fairly conservative very cool uh just a quick just a quick spot here for uh convergent trading for those of you who are new just in case you didn't know what convergent trading is I invite you to go to go to ct.pro forward slash store. Excuse me, Convergent Trading provides offer services to those who strive to trade as a professional. That includes a curated chat room, professional news squawk, so you're in the know, so you could have heard what the FOMC had for us today in the minutes as the market responded very negatively to uh, to what we saw. Uh, we do webinars, private web, uh, member webinars on a weekly basis, uh, uh, twice a week or once a week. We do our own, we distribute our own, own levels for Ninja, Sierra, Investor RT, that's ProX and various other platforms. Uh, we generate market stat reports. These provide tendencies similar to what uh, Kelly's talking about here where we're constantly um, monitoring how the market's changing over time, volatility, rotations, uh, the quality of movement, things like that. 
Uh, of course, this includes the trade right program to just get you thinking like a professional and accountability journals. It's a system by which you enter your trades and how things your plan and then compare your plan for the day versus how you actually perform. Again, go to ct.pro forward slash store. Next thing we want to get into is risk management. In the interest of time, I want to keep this somewhat brief. So I'm going to jump into how did you put your strategy together in terms of um, in terms of risk? You know, you described some of this um, a little bit earlier. Uh, you know, what what method do you use to define risk for your fund? Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like you're deleveraged quite a bit. You're using a small portion of the margin allowable. Um, how, how does that play out for you in a fund? So each system has its own predetermined risk, and then it has this, they have their own risk systems that are looking at you know what's going on with the position at the time, and we're constantly analyzing that. So we're always looking at you know where our positions are and whatnot, and then we also have an overall portfolio risk. So um, you know, like, just to really kind of make a basic, like for the the options portion of the trading, you know, we kind of targeted that we didn't really want our drawdowns in a position to exceed 5%. Um, but our risk systems actually have kept those losses, you know, well under that for, you know, part of it. So, you know, you have kind of a max level, you also have, you know, different factors that show you when a position is, um, you know, starting to go against you and then different strategies for addressing that. And so each one has their own set of filters and, you know, risk parameters. And then there's an overall where, you know, where we don't want within a given, you know, time frame to exceed a certain amount. Okay. And when does it become clear to you that a trade is simply not working and you just need to get out? Uh, you, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that as someone who's constantly analyzing and monitoring several strategies within a fund that you're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, we'll just let it hit our stop. Um, when do you intervene versus just letting it kind of consume the entire risk that you've set out for that particular trade. Right. I, well, take, for example, like, you know, March of 2020, you know, we, we had some option positions on and, you know, we have our preset stop levels, but you could just see that this was coming down that, you know, we were in, you know, the whole COVID thing was such a different, driver right and there was you know this huge volatility pumping in so you know we just actually um decided to to move to the side you know we just kind of made the decision that you know we weren't going to wait for the stop to hit kind of a thing um and then we actually sat out to the side for a little bit on all of our positions and just kind of let it the market figure itself out and then waited to get in for our re-entry. So there are times where you can just see that, you know, what is happening, um, your normal signals like, you know, okay, this is an exhaustion point, it might be a buy entry kind of a thing. You could just see that, 
you know, there was potential for some continuation there, and we just wanted to get a confirmation that, you know, some of that had played out. So. In that situation, do you wait for green light, green light, green light across the board, or do you, even if you have green lights across the board, do you still wait to get a feel for the market? So there's a kind of an intuitive, an intuitive ingredient, or is it purely systematic where, hey, green light, green light, okay, third green light, we're in, and mm -hmm. you just go in, you risk 5% on the position, and off to the races you go. How how do you manage such a thing? We did Especially actually lag in. So we lagged in and just, you know, like um, slowly adjusted our, our leverage. Um, and then, you know, we actually had delevered quite a bit in the options. Um, so, you know, we waited for a lot of that to play out before we had exposure on both. So what you want? So we're look, you know, looked at what is our total portfolio risk, and we had, you know, potential exposure from you know continued volatility um, on both sides. So then we just you know pulled back on our positioning um, until we felt sure that it was moving back into normal trading. Okay. Um, what was the worst trade you've ever been a part of? <laughs> where things just did not work out you know not maybe not a worst case scenario but pretty close i'm not going to talk about 2020 again because we all know what happened there um i would say you know like oh, one of the like, you always remember the losers right right but you know given that you're dealing with options i remember february 2018 was just disastrous right. for a lot of option funds Actually, How wasn't, did that go for you? They weren't great. No. <laughs> so this is how these internal systems, you know, and rules help us. So we had um, actually had an indication that had us delever on our options at the very end of January. So the new options positions that we had on was a low leverage position. Um, you know, further out, that kind of a thing. And then we actually hit a stop right as we got into February. So then we were out. So we didn't have any um, options exposure that following Tuesday when everything kind of fell apart there. Um, and then we just had on the um, futures positions, which, you know, then we followed those parameters and traded accordingly. So that month, compared to a lot of option traders, was not horrible for us. So I what is your worst say, trade? Uh, October of 2008, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. where I'm in an options only program and, you know, short puts and, you know, that did just, we had huge volatility, like we had never seen for as long as the VIX had, you know, been tracked. And, um, you know, just dealing with that, like when to get out and when to just step aside. Um, I know, you know. Kelly? Kelly, I might have lost no, you. No, okay. we didn't do great. Uh, it was a great learning lesson in terms of like, you know, those kind of things. But we also, because we tend to not have over, you know, have over position that, that month was a 10 
plus percent drawdown, it could have been so much worse. Yeah, and it was a lot worse for many, so, right? Yeah. And then sometimes you just get that right. But even like January of 16, you know, I remember, you know, we just, um, we hit three steps, like boom, 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 like in a row on different positions. So, you know, we're, when you get stopped out of different systems and like all in a row, it, it adds up. So, you know, those, you remember those things when they happen. And then, you know, we just had to wait, wait for the next signal to enter and then move forward and um, continue with your systems. Right. Okay. So uh, a quick pivot. Issues relating to execution is, a, is an important topic for most traders. Now, you're not managing, you know, a billion dollar fund or anything like that. So you're not having to take on, put on and take off 10,000 contract positions and options or in the S&P futures. But how do, how do you guys put these positions on? Is it a one click, hey, market, market order or limit order? Do you have to work positions? Uh, especially imagining the options when you're going way out uh, in, in terms of expiration, things get pretty thin there. So how does a fund manage the entry and exit of, of, a, of a market that may or may not be thin? Right. For the options, you know, we usually are using limit orders. You know, we're picking where we feel like our best price opportunity is. Um, you, although when you're exiting, depending on what the situation is, you know, you may use a market order at that time, um, but you're subject then to the widespreads. Um, so, um, you know, so in, in that scenario, you know, we're using, um, typically limit orders, but, um, in terms of, you know, like, the futures, you know, there we pick a level that you know, or an area or time where we we have an entry. Like, so if we have a signal, a lot of times is telling us, you know, get in at the end of the day. So then we're just picking, you know, a level based on where it's at for that time of the day. Um, so it's pretty, you know, like for the trend following piece, uh, we're just getting in at the time that we're getting the signal, kind of a thing as opposed to saying we want to be in at this specific level. Um, and then for exits, again, depending on what's happening, um, you know, if we hit a stop, we hit a stop, and then you're just out. Um, but if you see that, you know, it's probably a good time to get out before you take more downward pressure type of a thing, um, you know, we might work in order. So it's really how much time do you have? What is the volatility? How fast is the market moving? those kind of things. Um, in terms of, you know, the day trading, um, a lot of times we're using market orders on those. Um, for entry, you know, more often limit orders, but, uh, you know, we're just using uh, market orders for a lot of our exits. Do you have to go into anything fancy like um, an iceberg type of uh, trade or uh, an execution algo to get in and out of a position that is a limit order versus a market stop or a market entry? Uh, is it a person clicking and just getting in at whatever price it is? Is that how you're doing it? So um, because of the way the options had you know, been previously, 
we were we actually had been calling right to the floor of the CME with the group that we work with there. Um, so they've been doing a lot of our execution for us still. Um, you know, the, the day trading uh, can easily be automated. You know, we're talking about doing that um, and, and actually have somebody kind of looking at that. And, um, but yeah, you know, so we're, we're, we're working with uh, people on the floor. I mean, it's a little old school still. <laughs> Got it. No, I mean, that's what they're there for, to get you, right. to get you the prices you're asking for. The last thing we want to talk about to wrap up here, we're almost out of time, is maintaining a sustainable mindset. Now, you've repeatedly talked about how the market changes and there's a lot to account for and there you're constantly testing and back testing and looking, analyzing volatility, analyzing the levels in the S&P and the options associated in addition to administering a fund, in addition to probably soliciting for a fund, raising capital, things like that, what are you doing as a professional to maintain a sustainable mindset, to be able to do this um, almost a 24 hour a day job, six days a week, how do you, how do you make sure that you remain sane through the whole thing? Well, one of the things is, is I've always worked with partners. Um, so I'm not the only one that's watching the markets and also having to take calls and handle all the compliance and the day-to-day. -day. Um, I don't know, you know, I guess back in the day when I was, you know, working on the trading desk, I had to write disaster recovery, you know, type procedures. And for me, a backup, is really important so you know we have backups built in along the way but having somebody that you're trading with help it helps in a lot of ways so you you know you can talk about what you're looking at we can talk about um you know what we're seeing what we might want to test and somebody might see something that you're not so that helps and then you know you just have to have um faith in your system and know that, you know, your profitability will outpace the losers in the long run kind of a thing. And um, you owe it to your clients to, you know, remain steady and calm and logical. And, you know, that's when I end up talking to the most people is, is when the market is very volatile. You know, you're, you're, you're having to do all these things, watch what's happening, and then that's when you're getting all the phone calls. And I really make it a point to make myself available. I think that's really important because after all, it is their money. It's important to them. Um, so, you you know, and that's where you have to maintain, you know, and you have to know your systems. You have to know what you, that you're doing, what you're supposed to be doing according to your risk parameters and be able to communicate that. What are you doing for balance, though? I mean, so that keeps you in line with what your job is, but how do you how do you maintain balance? You know, like family time and stuff like that. Uh, do you take do you take time off often, or you know, you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's it's an exhausting job to trade or to do anything with the mm -hmm. market because it's just relentless every day there's a, every tenth of a second there's a tick right 
uh, 24 hours a day. So what what do you do as a as a person who is responsible for other people's money to to stay uh, grounded, so to speak? Right. Well, you have to get away once in a while, you know. Like so, I you know try to you know make sure I'm getting some kind of exercise. That was fun during COVID when the gym was closed, but <laughs> <laughs> you know like you know where we live you know, summer's a great time to be outside. I try to get outside as much as I can. And thanks to the advent of the smartphone, I can bring the market with me. Or, you know, I know if I'm getting a call or whatever it might be. And there are times when you know you can walk away, but that you also have the ability to do what you need to do if you have to. Um, you know, so like in this summer, for instance, you know, I've been trying to get up early, just get a, get a walk in. And then on weekends, I, you know, I may, I do stuff. You know, Saturday is my day to like get out there, spend it with family, friends, whatever it might be. Um, and then at night, you know, I also just try to, you know, make sure that I'm only really, you know, on it all the time if something's happening, you know, and I have to be watching or whatnot. But again, that's where it's great when you have partners that you work with. So you're not the only one that's responsible for what, you know, is going on. In terms of vacation, <laughs> can't say that I've had a lot of like really getaway vacations. You know, we've been fortunate enough where, um, you know, like my parents have a place in Florida and we'll go down there during COVID. My sister and I went and worked down there for two weeks because we thought it was better than being in Wisconsin where it's cold. And it was great because, you know, when the market closed, you know, we went out and golfed, walked, whatever it was that we did. Um, so yeah, you just you, you gotta you know make sure that uh, you're among the living as well. Right. So I have a couple of uh, quick questions, but I want to make sure everybody knows that uh, Kelly uh, is is available via email. You can reach her right there on your screen at kferrell at diamondcapitalmgmt.com. She's also on LinkedIn. The link is provided. Uh, you can always pause at this portion of the video if you're watching replay. And of course, we will send you the recording so you can watch the replay if you wish. You can move on to this slide and find Kelly this way. And of course, uh, a lot of information is on diamondcapitalmgmt.com, including the programs. Uh, if you're interested in getting more information on the program, you can reach out to Kelly directly. Um, also, you can reach out to my guys at EdgeClear through edgeclear.com and ask about Kelly. Uh, they'll be able to guide you in the right direction as well. Um, before we head out, I have a couple of questions we haven't hit on. Someone is asking, do you use any software service, services to help model your portfolio risk scenarios, plan and manage trades? Um, do you or do you use proprietary software for that? Um, we're using proprietary um, software that uh, actually um, Alan has has worked on. Um, that was kind of his background before. Um, so he's been able to systematize more so like the trend following signals and whatnot. But they are not uh, systems that speak to the market. You know, they're not interacting with our trades. So they're giving us the signals and then we're reacting to that. And, placing trades. Um, at some point, uh, we definitely 
are planning on programming the trading portion for the short-term day trading stuff because it can be the rules are specific enough that we can do that okay another question do you participate in the crypto market at all bitcoin or anything not through diamond capital management got it okay on my for myself in a different area <laughs> got it um i think that wraps it up i want to remind everybody that uh, the performance in a fund is not going to reflect the performance of a day trader it's uh it's a lot more uh complicated to run a fund so comparing the performance of a fund to what you can do on a day trading basis is not uh, is apples and peanuts really uh, so just look at the perspective of a fund as something that is much more long term i've come across people who put money in a fund because they saw that the performance is great and then they don't like what they see in two months and pull their money out and run away and that's not how it's uh, a fund is supposed to be something that takes a slice of your risk capital and is something you hang on to for a long period of time so i can always say well my prop shop returned you know 50 percent per month on equity uh try to do that with 300 million dollars you know so you know i'm we're using a tremendous amount of leverage or Try to get the performance on a day trading basis with a with uh, with just with 100 percent of uh, uh, exchange margins. It's and what I'm saying is it's a different ballgame. I know most of us are day traders who would be listening to this, so just consider that. Uh, I want to really take a moment to. We don't have any more questions. We covered a lot, and I want to take a moment to really uh, thank you for taking the time out of a super busy schedule doing what you do to talk to us today. Thanks for kind of putting yourself in front of the public and showing us and telling us um, how things are done at Diamond Capital. We appreciate oh, having you, you on. It was Cheers. fun. Thanks so much. Appreciate thank it. You. Take care, everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.